Welcome to a brand new episode of Paranormal Dads. I'm your co-host, Andy. I'm Pat. And I'm Eddie. Join us as we go in search of the world's monsters, myths, and mysteries right here on Paranormal Dads. Welcome, everybody. We are back. We're better than ever. We have a, another episode lined up. And just like last episode, we have some variety. We're going to spread the butter around this paranormal toast. A little something for everybody, right? You got your paranormal rye bread. You got your salt-free, vegan-grown paranormal butter made from the milk of a chupacabra. Smear that on the toast. With a little cheese. With a little bit of cheese. Now I'm just getting hungry. See? Who doesn't want that? No, we are here. We're excited. We love doing this show. And, I mean, I can say, I think, I feel like we'll be doing the show till we're, like, old and gray. I'm kind of already gray, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on my way there. Oh, no. Episode 1,000. Can't stop, won't stop. There's too many things to talk about. There's so many topics. There's so many cryptids. These UFO sightings are just coming. At, They're uh, nuts. Just it's like shooting them. fish in a barrel with those these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost too easy, right? <laughs> you know, I remember... And it wasn't so cool to talk about UFOs. And now it's all fashionable. So you know what? Y'all can step off and go back to six years ago and go to episode one of Paranormal Dads before everybody was on the UFO bus. We were on this bus before. <laughs> back in the day, all people had to go on was maybe a, a Roswell, Randlesham Forest, you know, yep. maybe a Shag Harbor incident. You had the holy trinity yeah. of UFO crashes. Now they're happening every day. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's exciting. And like Pat said, it's kind of like shooting paranormal fish in a paranormal barrel. Or you're just like, you know, <laughs> Listen, <laughs> but I am ready for it, and we're so adaptable too. Because you know, like right now, it's news, and in ten years from now, when all of this finally shakes out, we're, and yes, we have neighbors who are aliens. It's going to be like, <laughs> "Hey, what's up, Gribbleflex? How you doing?" It's like, "I'm all right, Eddie. You're the greatest." <laughs> no, you are, man. It's crazy. <laughs> High thirteen, <laughs> and then and then at the end of it. But yeah, I know we're excited, and I think who's up first on recent? That oh. would be me. Yes. And we're going to uh, get into a little story about a chupacabra. <gasps> Here we go. Guess what, guys? We got a recent chupacabra sighting in Guatemala. Yes, Guatemala. Hey, yeah. just a little south of the U.S. border. I there love it. Go. You're getting closer. So this is coming from the UK Mirror. I think it's like a newspaper or mm -hmm. website. Yeah. So uh, headline, terrified Guatemalans fear blood-sucking chupacabra feasting on their chickens. Uh, and I got all kinds of things popping up on my phone. Gotta love it. Feasting that. on their chickens and ducks. No, not the ducks. Yeah, not it's getting the ducks, the ducks so too. Cute. But this is recent. It's like June fourteenth, twenty twenty-three. That's pretty that new for thing. us. Yeah, Three days ago. so that's, that's like a that's few days ago. Here. So um, apparently, the mythical creature is known known as the goat sucker uh, is feared to have struck again. This time, feasting on chickens and ducks and turkeys. The animals 
uh, the victims, or their strange wounds, prompted many locals to believe it was the work of the chupacabra. Now, are they punctured neck and sucked the blood out? And the- yeah, they're finding strange puncture wounds in their neck and heads. Um, but the body's not eaten. The body's not eating, but they have been, you know, de-liquefied, basically. Drained of their bodily fluids like yeah. a Capri Sun. <laughs> so the dead birds were all found with unusual wounds on their backs. They were allegedly caused by the demonic creature whose name translates to goat sucker. See? Uh, allegedly, he drank their blood. The macabre discovery took place near the town of Tecapan, Guatemala, on June 11th. It's unclear if the locals have taken any action to prevent the chupacabra from carrying out repeat attack in the near future. Um, but there was also video of a woman holding up one of her dead chickens. So um, I just want to say rest in peace, poor oh. chicken. Oh, man. See, when you, where's the chupacabra repellent when you need it, right? Well, yeah, you and don't it's have like, any like bear spray for chupacabras, dude. And it's like these are several chickens, right? It's not just the eight like one. It's yeah, like it's, it's multiple animals. You know, you're going in there and just draining all the chickens of their chicken juice. It's just not cool, man. And then, I don't know, like, <laughs> yeah. So apparently on March 24th, a similar incident took place in the same region. In total, 75 animals were found dead. Including, That's a hungry chupacabra. Including chickens, ducks, and pigs. Most locals attributed the animal's deaths to the chupacabra. Uh, last week, the demonic creature allegedly devoured also several cows, oh! llamas, and alpacas near the Bolivian city of Oruru. And I, I probably butchered that name. Farmers feared they were, um, they were killed by the chupacabra due to the uh, injuries, uh, telltale injuries on the animals' necks. See, you know, you start with ducks and chickens, and then you, you up your game to a pig, going to make some candied bacon, chupacabra style, but then it attacks a cow? Yeah, he, he's like taking no prisoners. He's, he's like, I don't like, care what kind of blood it is. Yeah, I just want blood. I just want the blood. See, I don't, I mean, I'm not an animal expert, but to, to our knowledge, there's no animals that own, I mean, bats, okay, vampire bat maybe primarily feasts on blood, but aside from that, there's no animals that just drink blood and leave the carcass. I mean, not yeah. nothing that's a, like a, like a, animal big enough to kill larger mammals like you know mosquitoes and stuff and maybe like other types of bugs like that that you know that drain blood but nothing to that extent nothing i mean a big cat which i they might have mountain lions in guatemala because they certainly have them in parts of mexico but mountain lion will attack the throat and that could account for the two puncture marks but you know a mountain lion when they start yeah when once they start feeding on the animal you know they're going to slice it open and yeah uh, they're eating whatever they can get a hold of they're not going to leave it whole so even these cows had the same puncture puncture wounds yeah there's even pictures of a goat in this article which is kind of creepy they actually kind of blotted out the uh, wound area oh wow you know they pixelized it so you know, you can't see the, the gore and I, I suppose nastiness. Two puncture wounds. Yeah. This is where like these these stories kind of like started from, right? Like uh, like shepherds and and other like goat herders would find yeah. some of their flock. Yeah, to- Puerto Rico, I think, is where it first kind of um, you start first started hearing about chupacabra. Yeah, it was Puerto Rico, and then you heard about it in 
Mexico and uh, even into New Mexico and southern United States. Plus, the notion of a creature that only drinks blood. I mean, if, it, if you're going to drink blood, you could still probably eat meat. But, like, it won't do that. It literally leaves behind a, a completely dead animal drained of blood. Doesn't make any sense. It's strange. You know, and in the grand scheme of the cryptid world, uh, Chupacabra is the new, the new kid on the block. He's a, he's a baby. Because this whole phenomenon, like you said, Pat, migrated up from Puerto Rico into parts of Florida, Texas, and the southwest. But that, that was only in the early 90s, early to mid-90s. It's not like Bigfoot or, you know, Loch Ness Monster where this thing goes back hundreds of years. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a newbie. Yeah, this article actually says you first saw reports of this in uh, the in the U, near the U.S. Uh, in the early seventies or as early as the seventies. So. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like so. A- yeah, but still very much a, a newcomer. Yeah, to the cryptid world. And if you're new to the cryptid world, dear listener, chupacabra. I mean, a lot of times they're described as about the size of a maybe a medium sized dog. Think yeah. like a coyote, uh, but they have this kind of snarly. Uh, teeth and muzzle, kind of matted hair, kind of patchy hair, almost like a mangy dog. Some people say they have glowing eyes, razor-sharp claws. A lot of people report actually like a ridge of spikes down its back. A couple people have said these things almost have paranormal abilities, like flying or Mm. things like that, but those are kind of rare. The drinking of the blood, and this is where I think there has been some debate on the chupacabra's ability to drink the blood, like how that mouth would look what the teeth would look like how you would actually like pierce uh an artery and suck blood out i know they did a thing with like vampire bats where they showed how they would like land on top of a cow and kind of scrape away at their skin and kind of lap the blood up just kind of licking it up and he's disgusted and so but this is like this is different like they're just borrowing a few sips of blood this is where they're draining that sucker dry yeah, yeah. like a like a like a Bud Light can at a Leonard Skinner yeah. <laughs> concert, and they're just <laughs> crushing them and throwing them into the dirt. You know, it's, it's like set them up. Exactly. <laughs> We're gonna drink this place dry. Uh, I just, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking because it's like these animals are kind of powerless to get away from this thing. It sounds like it's at least kind of an apex predator in that sense, where it's like yeah. a cow. It's a big animal. Yeah, you know. That has like a, I have a gut feeling, of like almost like a Skinwalker Ranch kind of feeling about that, because they describe like these large, like in this in this case they're large but wolf-like creatures that are like killing their cattle, like just yeah. in, in some cases draining them of blood or ripping out eyeballs. I mean, it's nuts. I just ugh. recently well, sighted. Recently sighted. Well, a little uh, little spoiler, a little teaser here. Uh, later this year, my daughter Sky and myself we have co-authored a book. And it'll be released later this year, a children's book with illustrations. It's called Bigfoot's Big Birthday Party, oh, nice. where uh, Skye's character in the book, she travels the world rounding up all the cryptid creatures to attend Bigfoot's birthday party. <laughs> and she does find the chupacabra in Mexico and come to find out he is no longer a goat sucker. He is a vegetarian. Oh. oh, he's changed his ways, and he brings bean burritos to the party. Nice. Even better. Yeah. It's like a Banicula. Remember that book? Banicula? Oh, man. The name sounds familiar. There was a book series when I was a kid in school, so it's kind of like a little bit younger than what Pat would have been and a little bit older than what Andy would have been. But it was a book series about this rabbit that became a vampire. Oh, right. And it would drain vegetables of their juice. So you'd wake up and you'd find like celery that was like (laughs) and tomatoes that were like pale because he would suck all the juice out. And it was a vampire bunny that would drain all the vegetables dry. Bunicula. The precursor to the Juicer 3000, huh? <laughs> there you go. It's the juice. It's the secret <laughs> in the juice. But, yeah, that was exciting, Pat. Thank you for that. All right.
it's time for pop, culture, and the paranormal. Hey everybody, on this segment of Pop Culture and Paranormal, I'm going to be discussing three movies with a bonus four of featuring extraterrestrials where you don't see or barely see the extraterrestrial. Ooh, oh. the suspense. I'm just saying. So the, the where is Waldo of extraterrestrial movies. Exactly. They either never showed it or you got to see so little of it, you were like, what? That was it? They're just teasing you. Oh, man. And the first one, I don't want to go in chronological. I want to go in like exposure of, of ETs. So like in the first one where there's a little bit of an ET, a little bit of one. You know, we'll see. Let's see. Should we go a little bit to, to, to most? Yeah, we'll go a little bit to most. A little bit of an ET. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, my favorite E.T. movie. That's a great movie. When did it come out? 78? 77. 77. 77. I know because I was born that year, and so they do a lot of like 40th anniversaries. Oh, it's yeah. going to be the 45th. I'm like, I just keep track of how old I am with, <laughs> with a Close By Encounter. the anniversary of Close Encounters. Exactly. And uh, for anyone not familiar, it's a film with uh, Richard Dreyfuss and Richard the mom. Uh, Terry Garr? Uh, no, the mom's not Terry Garr. Uh, she is the mom from Harry and the Hendersons. Who plays his wife, um, blonde lady? Yeah, I want to say Terry Gar was his wife. I, I might be wrong. Yeah, I, uh, and so, um, but uh, what I love about Close Encounters of the Third Kind is it features classic parenting of the seventies. The dad, played by Richard Dreyfuss, is just screaming at his children the whole time. He's <laughs> just yelling at his children the whole time to, yeah. to be quiet. <laughs> Toby, you are close to death. Yeah, exactly. He threatens to kill his kids. It's 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 good times. Come um, on, one of these. Okay. Like, so Terry Garr is Richard Dreyfuss' wife in that movie. Oh, okay. I miss, yeah, okay. Melinda Dillon is the other woman, the mother of the little boy who gets abducted. Yes. I'm so sorry. Melinda yes. Dillon. Yeah. And she was in Harry and the Hendersons, I believe. Is she the one, is she the one married to uh, Steven Spielberg? Or Maybe. Is, I don't know. Was That's she also question. in uh, uh, Raiders? Uh, one of them was Raiders in uh, the Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And so... Uh, this is a great film, and it features basically Richard Dreyfuss being having an, a UFO encounter, and then being kind of psychically like like drawn to a place, a location in this movie, Devil's Tower, uh, isn't it? Wy Wy Wyoming. Wyoming, yeah, Wyoming. And anyway, this film goes through its things, and you see glimpses, and it's it's very genius in how they shoot this, but glimpses of aliens. Uh, no aliens, UFO, flying craft, a lot of that happening. And at the very end of the movie, it comes walking off the bottom of the ship like a little thing. It's a little tiny, little short, uh, little gray guy. And effects are what they are of the time. Kind of waves at him, boop, boop, does a little wave, turns around, walks back. And I stand corrected, it wasn't just one, it was a few of them. Little yeah, guys. Yeah, a few of them. And then, and that's it. That's all you see. And they get on the ship and they take off. You know, and they drop off a bunch of people who they had kidnapped, right. <laughs> who they abducted, who hadn't Flight aged. Flight nineteen. Yep, who hadn't <laughs> aged. Yeah, and then some volunteers, including Richard Dreyfus, go with them on more extraterrestrial adventures. But uh, but yeah, you barely, you maybe see them on screen. These extraterrestrials for all of like what, ten seconds maybe? Yeah, not a long. Yeah, time. it wasn't long. A quick little glimpse. And they lure in the alien craft with that really catchy like piano little ditty. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Oh, it's right? so good. And it gets yeah. in your head after a while because yeah. they do it like a thousand times in the movie. They have the little hand gestures. Yeah, the little hand gestures. Yeah. And then <laughs> what well, hovers overhead but a city-sized freaking UFO that turns yeah. upside down and you're like, what? 
<laughs> and then the little cute Casio keyboard they're playing on, they come back yeah. with the wah, wah, wah. And you're like, ah! <laughs> now we're deaf. <laughs> Good job. But he, his character goes a little cuckoo in that movie because like, he's psychically being called to this thing. Right. He's making mashed potato sculptures on his dinner plate of yeah. Devil's Tower, and he doesn't. he's like, doesn't I don't know where this is, but I need is. to go here. Yeah. yeah, he made like a giant model of it yeah. in his house. And with his mud wife. and dirt and plants. Yeah, <laughs> his wife's freaking Chicken out. wire, he's all like, kinds of crazy like, his, his marriage is over. Yeah. His, his kids are like, what are you doing, Daddy? He's like, shut up or I'll end you. I know. It's like he's shaking his kids. It's like, this is this is not a good parenting movie. By the way, Steven Spielberg married to Kate Capshaw in real life. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> so, who knew? Look at that's that. That's who that Pat, was. Pat did. Yeah. Uh, the second movie I want to talk about where you barely see any aliens, barely see them, is in the movie, the hit movie by M. Night Shyamalan, Signs. Ooh. One of Andy's favorites. Oh. Sign, sign, where they wear sign. I'll never forget that part of the movie. They're watching it and and on like on a on a recorded TV. cassette tape in the closet, and they pause it right as the alien's walking into view, and he's this tall green reptilian. It just makes you shudder because you're right. M Night Shyamalan, he's the master of you know making people use their imagination. It gives you the willies as you're imagining what these creatures look like, and then you see one. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> they did a brief shot of one at the very end. A lot of people debate whether that was even necessary because it was already adequately. They had the fingers under the door. They had silhouettes. They had the news footage of them rewatching it. Having that shot at the end of it holding one of the kids. Probably a little over the top with what they'd already done, but whatever. What are you going to do? But another movie which featured them a lot of build up, a lot of talk with these extraterrestrials, and for what you see on screen, not a lot of time on the screen. Um, the second, well, the third, the third movie, um, where it's debatable. We'll talk about this real quick. It's called It's Contact. Jodie Foster, Matthew uh-huh. McConaughey. Great story. Good written uh, written by um, Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. Yeah. And a great movie, basically about faith and, and our, our version of faith versus science. That's kind of the, 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 uh, the, the setup in the movie. And kind of what Contact kind of comes away with is, why not both? You know, it's kind of the classic, you got, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate kind of dispel. <laughs> kind of, you got my chocolate and my peanut And he has a copy of it over there, hard I'm copy. I'm holding a copy I just grabbed off book. my bookshelf. Carl Sagan, this book was given to me by my grandma Myers. And you see, Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey right yep. there on the front yep. cover. yep. And it does a lot of build-up. It's a great movie. Uh, once again, very almost uh, Hitchcockian in its own way, yeah. where uh, people working at the SETI uh, uh, antenna array uh, pick up a signal. They, they, they detect pattern in the signal. They decode the pattern. It's basically a series of instructions to build a thing. They build this thing. It turns out it is a device that they think might take them into like a different dimension or something, and they build the device. Jodie Foster goes in it. And there is debate on whether or not she actually went anywhere. Right. Because for the outside observer, the device didn't work. From her experience, the device did work, and she had an experience with an extraterrestrial intelligence that took on the persona of her father Mm -hmm. and talked to her for a very long time. And when she got out of the device, she felt like she had been gone for 20, 20 minutes or so. And they were like, you, it went, the, the, it went right through. straight through. <laughs> you were, it was one second maybe. Yeah. Like, and so the, uh, the, the extraterrestrial, if you will, wasn't even really shown in this movie. In fact, in some cases you saw, like we saw some sparkling ephemera that became the projection of her father. And it was an intelligence communicating to her about, life beyond earth and life beyond our dimension even and the cool thing i loved about this movie was at the end of it you had a very visceral reaction there were people who were either like that was 
crazy cool yeah. and other people who were like screw this movie <laughs> i didn't see any aliens and so there was a lot of talk almost some people were like 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 andy and pat were like we love that movie and some people i've talked to have been like that movie is horrible you don't see any any extraterrestrials so uh there's that one a very well built up very kind of uh, orchestrated movie also has William Hurt in it, by the way, whom I love as an actor. It also has a lot of politic a lot type themes in politics. there too. Yeah, um, which politics. which uh, was kind of interesting. Takes the movie takes some weird twists with that. It does, and I like the kind of especially now as a kid. I say as a kid, as a teenager when it came out, I was kind of aware of those things. But you know, you're a kid; you don't really pay attention. Now as an adult, and I see the story, I'm like, this is more realistic yeah. than yeah. a lot of ways. It's like we. We just got instructions on how to build a thing from outer space. Done. Yeah. There's clearly, but now it's like we want, more, we want more, we want more. Yeah. We like it's like clearly it wasn't us. Like we anyway. It's great. Yeah. Um, one yeah. of my top two favorite movies of all time. The other one being Avatar. Yeah, I, I loved it, and it's it was really there were a lot of religious and political undertones. In fact, her character and look, spoiler alert, but this came out in '96, so you ha if you haven't yes. seen it yet, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but they didn't want to. They didn't want her character to be able to be the one chosen Earthling to go on this you know, on this spaceship because she was atheist. She was science and she didn't believe in God. And they said, well, that doesn't represent our humanity. So they sent somebody else. And then she ends up going last minute on a twist, a plot twist. But yeah, you're right. Not a whole lot of alien, t technically no alien time there because the alien being took on the form of her deceased father. Yeah. Um, and my bonus entry into the series, uh, into this list is uh, star Trek, the motion picture. Um, in so you're there? this is Star Trek One. Star Trek One. Yeah, okay. The very first Star Trek. I think it was 1978 Eight, or nine, nine, something like that. Right on the heels, maybe even eighty. I don't know. Right before the eighties. Right on the heels of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Uh, the people, you know, the people, the brains behind Star Trek were like, we need to be doing more science fiction movies. This is crazy. We did this first. We got So it has a very uh, Kubrick style feel to it. It's very like a, when you look at the other Star Trek movies, it kind of stands out as a kind of a unique story. But the plot and premise of Star Trek one is that we are receiving a signal from some sort of powerful array in space, and we don't know what it is. So they send out the crew of the USS Enterprise to investigate and Adventures happen, hilarity ensues, <laughs> and what they come across is this giant kind of like blinking, flickering cloud, and it's sending out a signal, and they're like, we got to check this thing out, and Spock goes into the clouds, a great scene of him flying, very long sequence, by the way, of him flying through space, just in his little red spacesuit, through this cloud, through all this very prismatic, very Willy Wonka, like, you know, world of imagination type tunnel. He comes out of it, and to, to see this advanced alien uh, civilization that's contacting uh, Earth, and it turns out it's the Voyager 1 satellite. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Voyager 1 went missing, and we also we sent out two Voyagers, Voyager 1, Voyager 2. Voyager 1, we don't know where it went. Voyager 2, we just recently lost connection with it, I think. It was still broadcasting well beyond what they thought it was going to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I think it was even broadcasting. It finally left our solar system maybe five or six years ago. Voyager 2 did. Yeah, it yeah. seems like fairly recently. Yeah. Voyager 1, they cracked it off, and then after a short time, they're like, we don't know where it is. <laughs> we lost it, whatever. <laughs> and so it's out there. And so in this one, hey, we found Voyager 1. It's sitting here. 
And clearly, in the middle of this like giant dish is like Voyager One, and then there's all this attached electronics and things they don't even recognize, like feeding into this thing. And they're like, "Where did this thing go?" <laughs> and it basically is like, "I've traveled the galaxy, and I have basically achieved sentience, and I." have met vast array of alien technologies and civilizations, and now I want to find my creator. So Voyager 1 became sentient and came back looking for who made it. It was searching for God. <laughs> and so, again, clearly, like, it, it saw some stuff and did some things, but here's the kick. No alien. Yeah. <laughs> the entire and I feel like that movie which was super cool Andy made a face right there when it's like and it did kind of get a little bit like which Star Trek always does gets super philosophical where it's like what happens when we make a thing throw it out into space it becomes sentient and goes I want to figure out who made me and comes back you know what do you do with that um, but no aliens so I think a lot of people were waiting for some big payoff like this is gonna here it is it's like it's Voyager 1 <laughs> Like, oh, it's not the Klingons. Not exactly. No new aliens. No, no, no. It's a speaking spell. <laughs> Hot glued to a de- satellite dish. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, but super great movies. Just, hey, spoiler alert, you're not going to see a whole lot of aliens. And all the, all the ones you mentioned are the opposite of Avatar, where Avatar, you have 100% aliens the entire movie, right? All aliens. All mm-hmm. aliens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do another series next time where we just do movies with all aliens in it. <laughs> we can do a whole episode on alien movies. That's true. That's yeah. true. There's a lot of those. Uh, but yeah, hey, what's your favorite non-alien, uh, like alien, but not showing any alien movies? Uh, any that we didn't list off or any uh, TV episodes you can think of or anything like that? Share with us. Yeah, let us know. Uh, you, can, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Heck, you can even reach us through Gmail. Check Ooh. out ParanormalDads at gmail.com if you have a story or if you'd like to be a guest on the show. And before we ease into the main mystery, to put a bow on this episode, please like and subscribe and share this podcast with all your weird friends who are into the paranormal. That would do us a big solid. And now it's time for the main mystery. <laughs> All right, boys, welcome to the main mystery. <clears throat> and I know you were talking about extraterrestrial movies, so we're going to take it from outer space all the way down to something pretty local, at least from our point of view. We're talking about Hummel Park. Oh. oh. i got to give a little context, because most of our listeners tuning in from other states and even other countries, big shout-out to people in Australia and England. I know, right? Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, but, you know, Hummel Park, it's a place, just a stone's throw from uh, from where we're at currently recording. It's in the north part of Omaha. It is a uh, park that's notoriously haunted. And yep. it's kind of ironic, wouldn't you guys say? Because it's actually a pretty beautiful place. It's easy on the eyes. It's gorgeous. It's very treed. It's, it's heavily forested. And honestly, I this is new to me. And then not to keep going, but it has some UFO activity in it, too, which is kind of crazy. It's not very far from the Missouri River, too. So, no. Uh, I mean, it is right there on the Missouri River, very, basically. Very much a nature's, nature-centric type yeah. place. Yeah, it kind of hugs the river there between Nebraska and the border of Iowa. Yep. But you have a little bit of everything. And before we get into why this place is so mysterious, I'm going to just give you a little background and context. So Hummel Park is uh, over 200 years old. A Spanish trader named Manuel Liza had a fort located near the park. Another trader named Jean-Pierre Cabane opened a post along the Missouri River near the park in the 1820s. So for almost 70 years, starting back in the 1860s, the family 
of a farmer named Joshua Brown owned the parkland as part of their Ponca Hills homestead. Now, Brown's son Roy owned it for years, and his grandson Charles took care of it after that. And this, you know, it's became a multi-generational commitment, led to the city of Omaha buying it to make it a park. And apparently there were early talks about renaming it for the farmer, but they, those plans fell through because another park in Omaha already had that name. So by 1930, uh, 200 acres of land on this southwest corner of River Drive and Ponca Road were donated to the city of Omaha to become a park. And instead of Brown, it was named after Joseph B. Hummel, who was the longtime superintendent of Omaha's Park and Recreation Department. And he was also one of the most influential park advocates uh, in Omaha history. So this is a mature woodland area. It covers almost the whole entire park. You know, there are playgrounds. There's horseshoe pits. There's a Missouri River overlook. There are picnic shelters. There's even a disc golf course, Eddie. Yep, there is. Have you played on at Hummel before? I've played a few holes. I haven't done the whole thing. It's nuts. Because, it's like a black diamond course. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's it's crazy because there's a lot of topography in there, too. A lot of hills. Yeah, a lot and, of hills. Yeah. You, you can get lost in that park if you're not careful. And you can fall down a pretty impressive <laughs> cliff, too. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll snap your bones in half. <laughs> well, we went disc golfing that one time, and it was pretty much flat, just like a golf course. Hummel Park. I mean, there's so many trees, there's so many yeah. hills. I don't know where, like, where are you even going to throw the disc. Yeah, it's a lot. You just close your eyes and chuck it. <laughs> um, so there's a, a popular spots like Devil's Slide, uh, which is kind of built into the natural cliff on the east side of the park. Uh, there's nowadays basically there's like even, a big dirt slide. It's a big right? dirt slide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you got Hummel Park Nature Center. Um, you know, owned and operated by the Omaha Parks and Rec Department. It has like, you know, educational programs. Day for camps kids. and things like that. Day I get out there. Yeah. yeah. So for more than 60 years, the park's been home to summer camp for thousands of little learners. And today, Hummel Park is a beloved area used by thousands of people every year. They enjoy it. They enjoy the view. They treasure the park. But there are a lot of rumors. There's dark undertones. There's a whole heap of paranormal happenings going on here, guys. Uh, first, it, ha- it has an ominous vibe. It really does. When you get up on the entrance of it, you're like, huh, I didn't even need, need to know the stories of this place, and it just has a weird feel to it. Anyway. You know, if you have a lick of intuition, which I, I think on some level we all do, Yeah, you're right. You get r- right in the vicinity of this park, and your hair starts standing on end, and you're like, it looks pretty, but why do I get the willy-nilly feeling in, in, my, in my guts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, murders. Tons of murders, guys. Moida. A lot of murders. Tons. Of, you know, I started, and I almost didn't want to, but for the sake of research for this episode, I did a little uh, digging, and I thought a couple mur- There's been tons of murders. Tons of bodies found. Like in the park? In or the people park. murdered and then dumped off in the park? Both. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, fairly close to some not-so-delightful neighborhoods, so... Um, you know, it's you know it's a good it, place to hide a body. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's a good place to hide a body and to to take one to make it, one. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. So, but you know, you had tons of murders, lots of assaults, um, bodies found. Um, Is there know. any a pepper? What's found? that? Is there any a pepper found in there? A pepper? He said there was a lot of assault, so I didn't know if there was any <laughs> a pepper. See, you, you know, you listen to a but show um, called cheek. Paranormal Dads, you're going to get some dad jokes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, a lot of death, a lot of trauma, a lot of violence. 
And then you have the uh, you know the curious case of the uh, albino cannibals. That oh God! That's one of my favorite stories about Hummel. I just don't know about this one. Go ahead, go tell the story. I mean, it's 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 lore and legend. There's nothing to substantiate it. It's all hearsay, but everyone in this area has heard about the cannibalistic albinos. <laughs> Completely politically incorrect by today's standards, by yes. the way, to poke fun at people with different skin pigment. Yeah. And why they're cannibals, I don't know. They, you know. There's plenty of fruits and berries they could eat up there. I've asked people, like, is there an actual bona fide like, story of like albino people living in Hummel Park? Cause, yeah, because wasn't it like billed as a commune or, or um, kind of like a... a, a place where where the albinos were kind of forced to live that's I mean, what i've heard <laughs> like, know, like people have told as me legends go everything from the most like innocent stories of like yeah this is where it's so funny too because like you said a sign of the times like back then if you were too different you they didn't want you living around them yeah like them being like the quote-unquote normies and so they would like exile the story was right. they would exile these albinos into Tumble this Park. like camp to live in Hummel Park and then that's where the albinos live was Hummel Park and it's like albino is like a genetic mutation that doesn't like that like you know what I mean like there's like maybe I don't know it's such a strange doesn't necessarily make you a cannibal (laughs) certainly and then also it's like 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 an albino person with another person or whatever could make a person with not albino pigment, like with actual pigment in their skin. So it's like, that doesn't make sense. Like it would just be like a, 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 a commune of albino. Anyway. Yeah. No, no real st- like, like evidence based, but yeah, that's was the story. It's just how legends start, you know, it, it, and who knows where this began. It could have been some family who was having a picnic and they saw another family that were just fair skinned people. Right. You know, I don't get very dark. I mean, I'm pretty pasty. I'll walk outside, sun glistening off my skin, you know, reflecting <laughs> off my sweat. I could be mistaken for an albino. Or a sparkly vampire from Twilight. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But that I, was a big one. That, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the violent albinos that live in Hummel Park. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Just file their teeth down to a point, you know. Wasn't there a staircase, too? Yep, we're, we're going to get to the staircase. Okay. I remember being no more than eight, maybe nine years old tops, and, and my friend Alex was having a birthday party sleepover in Hummel Park. Oh, God. Right inside oh, wow. the park. And we're intense. All of us kids are intense. And I remember his mom was, you know, the kind of the, the, the adult on, on duty, and she thought it was a great idea to tell us, Kids, eight or nine year old kids, the story of the cannibalistic albinos that come down out of the hills to prey on people yeah. at night while they sleep. And yeah. then it got intense. Oh, because <laughs> they were camping. Intense. <laughs> so, yeah, so the problem was I woke up about four in the morning and really had to pee. <laughs> walked outside, uh, thought better, went right back in the tent. That was a long, oh, that was a long yeah. night. And I held it till morning. And that's <laughs> why my sleeping bag smells like pee. That's right. <laughs> That's why my sleeping bag smells like urine. So nothing to substantiate that. But then you have the staircase, like Eddie mentioned, Devil's Devil's Staircase. Some people refer to it as that. Uh, Mystery here is apparently if you count the stairs walking down, uh, they will be a different number when you count them going up or vice versa. Now, and I've walked these staircases in recent months. I've done it many times before. The problem is... The staircases are crumbling. So as you're going down, you're wondering what constitutes a step and what's just a stone or a pebble. Right. <laughs> you're falling apart. Right. Yeah. And there's hundreds of them. So you're going to lose count inevitably anyways. Yeah. So 
I don't think there's much uh, merit to that. And then you have Devil Slide. Uh, Devil Slide. I've never seen Devil Slide. What is that? Like and, you and said it's a dirt. I don't know if you can access it anymore, but I remember as a kid it was basically like a dirt slide that's it's basically... It's just like a bluff, basically, and it's... It's it's like a dirt slide. So many kids have rolled down the slide or slid down the slide. They wore out a spot. They wore out, you know, just kind of like a, a trench, and that's what they do, you know. Let's go down the slide. Yeah, just break all their bow tailbones <laughs> as they go down. Is it pretty steep too? Does- I don't. I remember being on it as a kid. I don't remember how steep it was. I remember my aunt uh, told me there was a devil slide and an angel slide right next to it. So, <laughs> angel slide was not quite as. Uh, you know, uh, daring or dangerous, but the devil slide. was like slide. the bunny slide. It was a bunny slope. <laughs> the devil slide. The like, devil slide was the black diamond. That's right. Stones sticking out of it and roots. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> but it was different times, you know. It was probably like a four foot drop to the bottom, and like, well, if you twist an ankle, it's a life lesson, kid. You know, yeah. Smack them on the back, send them down. There was this uh, friend of mine in town that was doing kind of a local paper. Uh, kind of like a little artsy, like a little like small pamphlet magazine, uh, and he was interviewing for his like group art group or whatever this man who was a fairly like wealthy dude who did all sorts of stuff here in town, uh, worked in like media for a while, did some other things, worked with a lot of real estate, just kind of had his fingers in a lot of different pies, and he said uh, this guy would go out to Hummel Park regularly and communicate with UFOs. That was like his thing. And he sat down with this guy for an interview talking about the stuff he'd done in Omaha. It's more like the art scene, stuff like that. And this guy went straight in. All he wanted to talk about was his experience with UFOs at Hummel Park. He's like, oh, man, I go out to Hummel Park and see a UFO. And you start, like, flashing a light to it. Click, click, click. And it, like, flashes back. And I'm like, okay, this is great. <laughs> so we talked. I never got to meet the guy in person, but I was hoping to, like, do some research and find it out online. But Yeah, like, yeah I'm, a, I'm a billionaire entrepreneur. Well, let's talk aliens. I know. He, that's <laughs> a, he was dead set. He wanted to talk about that. I love it. And then there's the pavilion. It's like a big empty pavilion. It used to be where people would have, you know, cookouts and picnic and tables. Picnics. And, yeah. You go in there now, it is not a place you want to be. There's 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 graffiti everywhere. I mean, I was there one time and I I swear there'd recently been some ritualistic something because there was there was soot from a recent fire. Oh. There was all sorts of like things that you would use in like a sacrificial altar type thing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and it, it was no like animal carcass or anything, but it was something something a little fishy going on up there. So I kind of, you know, tucked the tail and pretty quick. You got paranormal investigators up there. Seeing ghosts, hearing voices, capturing orbs on film. It's a popular place for some of the paranormal investigators to take people on tours of Omaha. Okay. That's one of the sites they go to a lot is Hummel Park. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, and again, this is just kind of hearsay and local rumors, but I've spoken with a lot of people who have their finger on the pulse of the paranormal community here in Omaha, and they say there's portals. They say there's portals in the north side of Omaha around Hummel Park, Hummel Park, it kind of acts as a as a vortex or a gateway, and uh, that you know could account for why there's you know uh, UFO sightings, there's ghost sightings, there's leftover energy from you know lynchings and murders, and um, and maybe a little bit of fear hanging in the air, thick like you know humidity in July, because leftover fear and anxiety from people who have traveled through the park and have sensed its wonky vibe. So it's almost like. Makes you wonder if every time somebody goes there, it adds to the heavy imprint, right? 
I know it comes off me when I walk through Hummel Park at night. Oh, man. Fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> you just said, the look on your face when he said body, you were just like nodding slowly. Like, yep. <laughs> Seen a couple of them. I just wrote down portals in Hummel Park because it's funny you mentioned that. It's like in that whole pocket of town, like northeast Omaha, when, once you get up in that area, it does feel very like otherworldly. It just has such a weird, a thin feeling like it just i don't know it's crazy i like it but it's also nuts yeah so maybe we just, we should go there play some disc golf maybe get abducted by aliens maybe not that's half the fun right let's go to the uh, pavilion and hang out <laughs> we went to the grave cave we could do this <laughs> go have a barbecue with the uh <laughs> the, albinos. the albinos listen i think they're gonna be peace-loving chill albinos they're gonna be like man we got a bad rap like, I'm a little pale, like Andy said. He's like, I hate the sun. Big deal. <laughs> Probably vegetarians, you know? Yeah, SBF 50 all day. I get it. I don't want any more of this weird sun damage I got going on. Like, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, Pat, you grew up in this town. Andy, you did too. Both of you. It's like, did you have, when you were a kid, did you go to Hummel Park? And like, this place is I, I, I think I was one of the little critters going to day camp up there. I okay. think I took the, we'd go get on the school bus in the morning. They'd take us out. We'd spend the day out there. And, come home go back the next day for like a week or so you know oh, wow so uh, i think i did spend some time up there they yeah. called him paranormal pat i don't remember any you know ghosts or paranormal type stuff going on you know i was probably unaware hmm. of exactly its, of its lore it's great to be a kid you know you just focus on playing and having fun you're a little little less uh, you know looking over your shoulder you know if you haven't heard the the myths and the legends so but yeah, as a kid, I you know, not knowing uh, what I know now, passing through, just riding through that area on my bike, you know, we yeah, we felt it was a little off, but we didn't know why. Yeah. You, know, you grow up and you read the stories, and you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> ah, I have context now. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I moved here, hadn't been there for you know when I first got here, the first year or two I'd lived here, hadn't really gone out to that area, and and then heard stories and was like, oh, that's crazy, and then finally, eventually, living here long enough, went out there, and I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, feels kind of spooky. Yep. For yeah. sure. Yeah, especially in the fall, you go out there, it, it's spooky. You know, feel, kind of. Yeah, there's something going on for sure. I would love to do a thing out there with you guys, you know, go out there at night. I mean, it's, it's classic with the parks, right? They close at dusk or whatever. Like, get well, out. they close at dusk. Not only do they close at dusk, but they have a, a steel gate that's on an automatic <laughs> Try to timer. Keep people out of there. And it closes. And I was there just a couple days ago, guys. And first of all, went up to the scenic overlook and decided to quickly get out of there because there was kind of a shady character sitting in a car mean mugging me. Uh. So I got out of there pretty quick, made my way down to the gate, and I started chuckling. It was very apparent that somebody had got locked in there at night because the steel gate on it closed on its automatic timer, but it was like rammed in half almost. Like somebody had gotten stuck <laughs> in the part and ra- park and the ram- they rammed their way out. <laughs> oh, man. I'm getting out of here one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, so it's timed. No one even is like, oh, wow, there you go. Keep out of humble park. You get park. stuck. You got to fight the ghosts and the Bigfoots and the werewolves and the aliens to get <laughs> oh, in. Oh, yeah. no. That's the story right there. Paranormal dads go to humble park, get locked in at night. We have to survive all night long in a haunted park. We turn cannibalistic and start eating each other. No, instantly. That took us that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, that about oh. does it for this episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. And, hey, if you're new to the show, uh, as always, feel free to listen past the end music. We usually throw in some bloopers and some outtakes and uh, all the shenanigans we do before and after the show. So that'll give you a little chuckle. There's never any shenanigans going on. Never. Straight. (laughs) 
the straightforward paranormalness. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for listening. It's a joy to make this show. It's a joy to share it with you all. And uh, yeah, hope you're well. And we'll see you next time. Bye. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of A Pair of Normal Dads. I uh, had to move the sprinkler this morning. Yeah, how'd that go? I got wet. Don't yeah. overwater the lawn. That don't yeah, happen. I tend to water between the hours of 7 and 8, 8.30. That's what they say you're supposed to do. Yeah. Because if you do it in the heat of the day, it just evaporates. I it just doesn't yeah. do you any yeah, good. I'm just paying for mist. I have dandelions. Oh, what you need is some of that um, weeding feed. Yeah, weed yeah, because yeah. it yeah because it does the weeding. It's the green bottle. It's the green one. Don't get the blue bottle. Not okay. the blue one. The that, green. That'll one. cook your whole lawn dead. Yeah. Get, getting rid of my dandelions. It kills the dandelions, but it doesn't kill the grass. Well, it makes my back ache tending to the dandelions. The I had to go to my chiropractor. Oh yeah. He focused on the L seven S one. You know what they say, if you lift with your back, that's how you kill your mother. <laughs> that's not what they say. <laughs> that step on a crack, you break your mom's step back. step on a crack. <laughs> we couldn't be normal if that we wanted <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do this. That's not the same. That's not how it goes. <laughs> Guys, I hurt my back, so I strangled my mom. <laughs> what? <laughs> You know, break your back, kill your mom. No, my, it's a used crack. <laughs> <laughs> my arch free of dandelions. Oh, dang. All right, ready? You're the main mystery, sir. <laughs> Pat's 2, Eddie's 3. I'm 1. I'm 2. Together we make a 3. Dos. The 3 amigos. <laughs> you should do the, the, the uh, entry in Spanish. Hola. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Bienvenidos a Perro <laughs> Yo soy... Me llamo Eddie. Me llamo Pat. Me llamo Andy. All right, let's redo this while killing the audio with my telephone. Chupacabra of love. Chupacabra. 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 Give me a treat. Scratch me with your chupacabra feet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mr. Chupacabra. Keep your bloody lips off of me. (laughs) Does he drink blood?